Hello, heroes. I'm Hannah Schaefer. And I'm Evan Rowland. This is Design Doc. For the last few episodes, we've talked about preparing for the Questlandia playtests and what those initial games have been like. After that, the holiday season pretty much put playtesting on hold. So we'd like to take this as an opportunity to talk about the collaborative process in general, what it's like to make games with others, and specifically, how that works in our company, Make Big Things. Make Big Things is a three-person game-making cooperative, Along with Evan and myself, we work with Brian Van Slyke, a game designer and longtime friend who's here with us today to talk about how we balance work and play, when so much of the work we do is literally play. But game design is just a fraction of the work we do. Between all the editing, marketing, production, and fulfillment, making games wouldn't be possible for us without collaboration. Today, we're going to talk about what strategies have worked for us, what parts we're still ironing out, and how we hope to keep improving in the future. So normally on the podcast, you get to hear me and Evan talking about Questlandia. And today we are joined by Brian Van Slyke, who is the third member of the Make Big Things Co-op. Hey, Brian. Hello. I'm waving, but you can't see that. Hello. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Brian, you joined us when well, I, years like go by in a weird way for me. Many moons ago. Do you remember when? Um, it was many moons ago. I feel it was over two years now. I think, yeah, I think it was about yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Do you want to say a little bit about like who you are and how how you came to make big things? My origin story. It would be good to finally learn who you yeah. are. Yeah, who are? Who I don't is? think we've ever talked before, actually. <laughs> this is our... Uh... I've been wondering for <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, so. well, I'm an enigma, so what can I say? No, hi, I'm Brian. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a game designer uh, as well, um, or at least in theory. I'm part of Make Big Things. I've been doing behind the scenes work, trying to do outreach and communication for various uh, campaigns that we've done, like Norlandia and Damn the Man. I'm also uh, part of another cooperative, Tessa, which creates educational resources, tools, and games um, for social and environmental and economic change. And um, I've put out some games through Tessa, Coopoly, the game of cooperatives, uh, Rise Up, the game of people in power, Loud and Proud, sort of social justice word association game. Um, and then, yeah, I do like education stuff and um, co-op advocacy and education as well. So, um, and then with uh, Make Big Things, currently working on a good dog, bad zombie, which is a, a very super serious game that has no jokes in it whatsoever. Um, so I, that's me. I did. Did you guys learn everything you need to know about me now? Can I go? Is, is this over? Yeah, I, mean, uh-huh. yeah, I think we're right. done here, actually. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. <laughs> Goodbye, heroes. (laughs) So Make Big Things itself is a co-op. Brian, do you want to give a sense of what that means, what that business structure looks like? 
Yeah, sure. Why don't why don't we do this? I'll start with just kind of explaining what cooperatives are in general, and then if y'all want, we can dive into make big things structure of co-op. Sounds Great. good. So yeah, co-ops in general have been around for a long time, but there's actually sort of this burgeoning movement of them um, around the world and and in the U.S. right now. And uh, cooperatives, in in a nutshell. Um, are democratically governed organizations by a specific membership. Whew, that was a mouthful. Um, but what it means <laughs> is in this organization, in this business, you have one member who gets one share of the business and one vote in its governance. So um, very democratically um, organized, um, and they're usually united around some sort of common values or cause. You know, the common value could just be trying to make a living, um, you know, through our business, or it could be bringing, bringing affordable, healthy food to this uh, low-income community, that kind of stuff. Um, so there's many types of cooperatives as well. You know, you've got consumer cooperatives, like you might have heard of gro- some grocery food co-ops. Um, you've also got big farming co-ops. You've also got uh, worker-owned cooperatives, which uh, make big things is, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And to me, I mean, I love all most types of cooperatives. Um, to me, worker co-ops are the most exciting and the ones I'm really rah-rah about. So, yeah, and, and that's and the, the thing that's really great about cooperatives in, in a sort of both theoretical but practical sense is that you share the benefits and the good time in a, in a co-op. You know, if there's extra money, et cetera, the membership decides, where, how does that get spent? Does that go back to the membership? Does that get spent on improving the community? Does it get spent, you know, giving the membership uh, benefits, that kind of stuff? And then... Um, and the hard times, the membership uh, has to share the burden as well. So rather than closing or firing people or whatever, say, all right, so we can all keep our jobs, so we can all still make a, way, uh, a living wage. What do we do? How do we pull together? Okay, we'll cut back some of the days we're working um, so that you know no single person has to lose their job, that sort of thing. Co-ops sound pretty neat. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could get you on the side. Um, so we came up with a few examples uh just wanted to list a few examples of co-ops some that people might recognize uh one is equal exchange coffee so you know i i think that they're they're like in mainstream grocery stores aren't they like i think i see Mm -hmm. them in in my mainstream grocery store Mm -hmm. they have you know coffee and tea and they function as a co-op and i went before this episode, I went online and was just looking at their mission statement and and what, you know, what being a co-op means to them. So it was kind of interesting. So I recommend going to their website. Um, Ocean Spray is apparently a co-op, which I did not know. Did you know that, Brian? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's interesting because Equal Exchange, they're very different types of co-ops. Equal Exchange is is a worker-owned co-op like we are. And they do very, you know, good stuff with like fair trade. And they work actually with like farmer co-ops, worker co-ops in Latin America all around to get chocolate, coffee, et cetera, and sort of build this like ethical supply chain. Whereas Ocean Spray, not, not, not knocking anyone down, but, you know, they're just sort of the co-op model to them is more of just a business structure type of thing. Uh, where mm-hmm. You've got these large farms who use co-op, uh, the co-op purchasing and ad- uh, advertising marketing stuff. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so those are two sort of, you know, food-based cooperatives with 
uh, who handle the co-op model differently. Um, and then the other example on our list, because it's relevant to us, is community printers. Brian, do you want to say a little bit about who community printers yeah. R is. I don't know how that works there. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. I would. Uh, community printers is, I, I love community printers. I'm just going to say this. Like if I could marry a print shop, I would marry community printers. Um, <laughs> but um, community printers is, you know, they're sort of a large packaging and printing firm. They, they do big like boxes and manufacturing for, you know, um, technology companies, for food companies and that kind of stuff. Um, and we actually, uh, or I actually got in touch with them a couple years ago um, for a project for board game development. Um, and I was just sort of like, you know, I'm looking, f- I'm looking for someone to do a box for it. I really want to be work-around. You know, I know you guys probably can't do this game development because uh, a lot of games are really not ethically manufactured. And maybe that's a conversation for another time. But they they were like, no, I think we could do it. Let's work together. Um, and so now, long story short, we've had, had a working relationship with them for years, and we're working with them right now on Good Dog, Bad Zombie, and they're making this whole new manufacturing process to be able to produce this board game. Um, but they're, they're a worker-owned cooperative. Um, they came out of the 1970s. They were sort of this kind of leftist, like, community printing hub that managed to... Um, get their like act together and actually become a uh, really serious uh, print shop, still work our own, still focus, primarily focusing on like community and um, um, social values. You know, they, they adopted vegetable based printing ink um, before like anyone else um, just because of the environmental reasons. And now people also have found in some many ways it's cheaper. So I feel like I'm really cool. nerding out on print stuff I don't need to. No one cares about, <laughs> but they're they're amazing and they're worker-owned and um, they've got a really fascinating, fascinating story. And they're starting to print board games as well, which is exciting. So how are we structuring our specific co-op and what are we doing maybe differently than Ocean Spray? I bet we're doing a few things differently than Ocean Spray. I don't think our games will be purchasable in grocery stores. Well, not yet. I think maybe less cranberry centric. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have not discussed that yet. (laughs) Well, so then that leads us to our first point, which is um, this isn't necessarily what we're doing differently, but one thing that make big things is in our governing structure, we do everything by consensus-based decision-making. So see, me deciding just a minute ago that we were going to become a cranberry-focused publishing company would have not been in line with our consensus promise. No, I consent. Okay, Brian, so what do you think? I, uh, I have concerns, and I think we need to discuss it. <laughs> so, Brian, do you want to talk at all about what that what sort of consensus based decision making looks like in this three person structure? Because we kind of have we have a sure. tough number mm-hmm. like three. Three can be a little tricky because there's this risk of when we make any decision of it feeling like two against one. And I just want to say that uh, cranberry transition is the best transition I've ever heard. But um, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. Um so I, I'll, I'll talk about this for a second, but you guys can hop in since this is something we've all been working on. Um, you know, consensus basically, 
Well, a lot of people, it, it has a sort of uh, cursory meaning that I think a lot of people think it really means, but it's much has much more depth than that. But essentially, it means we need to come uh, to the same conclusion. We need to reach the same decision, all of us, um, in order to enact a policy, to make a decision, to move forward with something that that kind of jazz, like you know. Good Dog, Bad Zombie is not our, just our next game because I said it's time for that. I, I I say Good Dog, Bad Zombie is our next game. You know, the three of us discussed that and we made an action plan, a timeline for products and we voted on it and agreed on it. And so, okay, that's all nice uh, puppy dogs and rainbows. But what happens when we don't agree, <laughs> like on the cranberry issue? Uh, the, the idea of consensus isn't, okay, one person disagrees, so we're not all you know, we're not doing it. It's sort of the idea is, all right, how can we, what resolution can we come to in order to, you know, meet all of our individual needs as well as the collective goal? So it's an intentional process. It is a harder process, sort of a slightly messier process than one president of the company saying, this is what's happening. Uh, But guess what? Democracy is messy. Um, And in the long run, um, I think we have better products and results because of it. Disagreements do happen. Sometimes we can't come to the same page, but um, without going into a crash course of consensus, um, you know, there are fallbacks, you know, in di- like in dire situations. What would we need to do if we had to fire someone? We're not all going to come to consensus if, uh, you know, uh, we're trying to fire one of us. So, you know, there's a <laughs> uh, really good stuff we're talking about right now. We call that consensus yeah. minus yeah, exactly. one in this case. So, yes. that, that's my little spiel. What do you guys think about consensus and make big things? I mean, part of uh, the process of becoming a cop that I've enjoyed is coming up with our own sort of code of consensus where we've written down steps of this is what happens if we don't agree. Like, this is the kind of conversation that follows. And if that doesn't work, this is where we each put in alternative. Like we look for third choices that weren't on the table before. And we try to reach consensus on one of those. And if none of that works, then we can eventually get to a place where it has to be consensus minus one. And, you know, the guiding principle of co-ops for consensus is great. And then having the freedom to really codify that ourselves has been a great process for thinking about collaboration as a whole and what makes it work. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, one of the exciting parts has been seeing, you know, I mean, I think that consensus, the words consensus and consent have similar roots, but they end up sort of branching off in this co-op process where enthusiastic consensus <laughs> is what we hope for, but enthusiastic consensus is not always what we can get. And so it becomes this process of each of us kind of going in this circle of like putting an issue forward. Do we have enthusiastic consensus? Like, are we all in agreement? No. Uh, then there's this process of like bringing that issue back to the table and back to the table. And sometimes there's a timeline for moving things mm-hmm. forward. I mean, it's like, we need one box printed to get a prototype of this box is going to be $10. If we print it in China, it's going to be $200. If we print it at community printers, can we reach consensus? And it needs to be printed by next week. Um, and I feel like those are some of the, those are some of the practical things that we've dealt with. Giving me flashbacks here. 
And I'm like always, I'm like the, you know, Mr. Monopoly mogul who's like, go to the sweatshops. <laughs> so now you know that that's me. <laughs> it's definitely on the far end of power structures because, you know, on one end you have just the CEO can make a decision and that's that. And as anybody else in the company, you have zero say. And then you have a voting system where it's kind of like if you're in the majority, great. And if you're in the minority, doesn't matter that much. And if it's right on the line, then you have this one moment where you're really making a decision. And with consensus, every single worker has a huge amount of control about what happens. So it's almost <laughs> scary. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally right. And I mean, I think we should make some sort of like... Um gray the borders a little bit in that, you know, this is, this is the way we've decided to operate, but something harking back to what you, you were saying a couple minutes, minutes ago that I think is really valuable is that there's so many different ways to do co-ops. There's not one way to do co-ops. You know, there's co-ops that are three people, us, there's co-ops that are hundreds of people. There's co-ops that are thousands of people. So, and you know, those all don't function in the same way. Um, equal exchange, which we talked about a minute ago, uh, uh, you know, they don't operate on consensus. Um, I think, I think they have 200 plus worker owners, maybe, maybe a little less than that. They, you know, they have managers, they have, uh, you know, um, all that, all that kind of stuff. There's a president of the company, but, but the, the important thing is that the root of the power in that co-op is, um, is the workers the, each worker has one, um, one share in the business and one vote in the business. And so they elect the board of directors and the president. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the president is accountable to the workers. Um, and that, that's really fantastic. And so they have a more maybe streamlined or traditional route of making decisions and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the power structure um, relies with the workers, which is, a, I mean, and they, they are incredibly successful company. So, and then, you know, you've got, um, you've got entire systems of cooperatives with millions of people in Spain, um, and Italy and that kind of stuff. So this is a system that, you know, there's not one right way to do it, but the, there is a right way to do it for you. And I think, um, not a consensus isn't for everyone, but it's for us. And we, uh, we have consistently identified that, as crucial to our structure, um, I think from since the very beginning. Um, so that's my little ramble. <laughs> um, and the part that people are most likely to be skeptical about is that we divide all of our profits three ways. So in, you know, Damn the Man, Save the Music, which was a, like a moderately successful Kickstarter, whatever profits come from that game get split three ways, regardless of who the lead designer was. And that is going to be the plan for Good Dog, Bad Zombie as well, which is a board game. So we can't foresee exactly how successful that project is going to be. But, you know, presumably board games have a bigger audience than role-playing games, and those profits will still be split three ways. Mm -hmm. So I present <laughs> that to the table. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. I love that. Like, um, you know, it so so much work and labor is invisible and goes devalued and uh, whoever is the per the lead or the person in the front is the person who gets the most credit and the and, and you know in some contexts that makes sense right but all the work that's happening behind the scenes to do uh, to just keep the ship floating, to keep, you know, the emails being written, to like uh, be in communication with the manufacturer, all, all of that 
is required for the game to come to uh, to press, to come to fruition. And so, I mean, we, we have this rotating structure of who's the lead on what project, but it means that, you know, uh, you know, uh, Hannah doing um, communication, marketing, et cetera, on Good Dog, Bad Zombie, um, if that were to be a very successful Kickstarter, then, you know, she wouldn't be left in the dust for that. Because all of that work is, in, I mean, and I don't know that it will be, um, but in the case that it was, um, the same for any other one. If Questlandia, the sequel, you know, I'm not involved in that. If that was a huge bajillion, gagillion, babillion dollar Kickstarter, <laughs> Basically, yeah, I, then I think so. <laughs> um, I'd want at least, yeah. We, do, yeah. we divide our babillions favor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I presumably will be doing a bunch of support work on the background. And so, so, I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing is we've all put so much time and effort and energy into this that, uh, you know, it really values us as individuals and, and our labor. It also gives a chance. It's sort of a long view idea of profits where it's like it's not just about the individual game. It's about us working together as a company, supporting each other mm-hmm. and making games. And if that means stepping back from being lead designer to take a like a less involved role in the next game, that shouldn't mean you have to pick up an extra job. You know, like you can actually be like, okay, this is like resting from a huge project is part of actually doing this work. And the co-op's going to support you through that. So we're already kind of talking about what some of the pros and cons, have we talked about any of the cons yet? Well, we're going to be, <laughs> we'll talk about the pros and cons of uh, the co-op business model for us. Um, one of the pros that I've really appreciated um, that Brian, I feel like you've really advocated for is the idea that like a certain type of labor isn't valued above another type of labor that like the designers work on a game creating um, like intellectual property is isn't more valuable than the person who in the meantime is like sending out the emails and maintaining the website and, or doing the bookkeeping and keeping the other aspects of the business afloat. And there have been times where I've like kind of pushed back on this that we can talk about when we talk more about like the places where it's hard to be a part of a co-op. But I've really, I've really grown to appreciate that not creating this like hierarchy in terms of like who is valued in the company. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad my indoctrination has been successful. That's great. <laughs> it's been very uh, successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you can take that idea to an extreme and um, it's not perfectly black and white. And there are times when, uh, you know, we, we hire contractors to do editing, to do other things. Uh, sometimes we, you know, Evan does most of the art for Make Big Things, but sometimes we hire people to do other art or additional art. Um, and they're not worker owners of our business, you know. So th- there are lines that you draw and distinctions you make. And um, sometimes those are arbitrary and sometimes those are not. But yeah, I, I just really appreciate how how we've approached that. And yeah, there's a, it's a lot of, there's a lot of hard conversations to have around it because it's not the typical way of doing stuff. But, um, you know, sending out the tweets, um, responding to Kickstarter comments, like all of that is absolutely crucial uh, to what we do. If that didn't happen, we'd have no communication with our audience and therefore we'd have no audience. Um, and so it's great to just like say, actually what you're doing is super important too. It streamlines us in a certain way too, because we, aren't tracking hours. We're not deciding 
you know, what wage is appropriate for tweeting versus designing a rule versus drawing a picture. We just say that's all the work that goes into making this company functional. And we trust each other to each be putting in our part and making it work. And as long as that trust is there, and as long as we keep going with that, it means a lot less bookkeeping and just a faster, easier work process. Okay, so you know we've gotten to talk a bunch about the the pros of the of the co op business model, but obviously, as with anything, there are challenges. So I guess I'm just wondering what you two think some of the the biggest challenges are, maybe in general or or with our experiences. I mean, one practical day to day challenge is that I mean, make big things kind of shifted from being like me making a lot of decisions to. Evan making decisions with me, and now this really formal co-op model. And sometimes I still slip and I start to do something as like a rogue agent. Um, (laughs) And one of the challenges is just like remembering to check in and let everybody know what I'm doing. There's some fuzziness there in the structure anyway, because you know, we say we're a consensus based and we make decisions where everybody agrees, but there is a thousand decisions to make every day when you're doing a thing. And you can't really bring them all up for consensus. Part of the like, you know, invisible part of that process is deciding which questions can just be decided and which ones need a full team okay to move on. And that's it's a really hazy line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, those are really solid points. And I think, you know, one thing that we could just do a better job of, um, and th- this is all learning processes, is just like knowing what falls in whose lap, you know. Um, consensus doesn't necessarily mean uh, that we all have to make a, a decision about everything. You know, it could be art direction, Evan. That's fine. Um, that's how that's how we operate, um, and we've had that experience with other co-ops and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's a learning process. We're still, as a group, fairly young, and I think we've achieved a lot, and we still we still have some things to 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 keep building on. Another part of being a co-op that's making games, that's making intellectual property, is thinking about ownership of intellectual property, and you know, the the sort of natural and maybe simplest thing to do would be to say the co-op owns everything. So the ownership of all of the artwork and rules and books that we create is shared equally between the three of us. But there's questions about, does that ownership ever expire? What if Make Big Things closed shop someday? Then would all of the artwork and games disappear, even though some of them might be, you know, more direct creations of individual members? This is something we don't really have an answer for at the moment. This is something we're in the middle of sort of hashing out whether there's a way to to have the best of both worlds. We're looking into possibilities for making, you know, licenses of property that allow these games and artwork and writing to live on past the co-op, but without encouraging people to take their property and run away from the co-op. It's a weird balancing act where there's a lot of different possible possible situations to consider. And I mean, we're, we're sort of just beginning to figure that out. 
that's I think that's gonna go on my gravestone. Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's been one of the most exciting recent conversations we've had. And I think one of the conversations that like can get a little fraught because we all have the same hopes for our success. And there's there's just so many questions that come up around, you know. What would happen if, you know, when, when, we won't say if, when uh, Questlandia 2 is a breakaway success? It makes $2 million on Kickstarter. Two billion. Two billion dollars on Kickstarter. And one of us, and say, you know, say that I feel like, you know, the game's potential has suddenly exceeded Make Big Things capacity to produce it. Do I own enough of the game that I can then say like, you guys, it's been real, but I'm going to take this game to Hasbro. Wait, is ha- does Hasbro exist or are they Milton Bradley now? I can't yeah. remember which one. Yeah. Hasbro's in. All right. Yeah. yeah Hasbro. <laughs> um, okay, do, I'm sure they'd be interested. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do I have that right? Um, or, you know, or, or say that I'm not, you know, like a total Scrooge about it, but like we wait a few years and make big things has stopped really doing print runs of Questlandia too. Yeah. Um, who has the right then to say like, I, I'd really love to see this game back in production. Um, so it's, it's complicated stuff. You know, in 60 years, and I'm an old man, I live under a bridge, you know, make big things is, is long past, but I just want to sell shirts with some of my Questlandia art on them. You know, am I going to prison? Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> These are the questions we need to answer. <laughs> Obviously, Brian and I will put you right in the yeah. big house. You are, you are going. Oh, do not pass go. Go immediately to jail. Uh, no, I, I mean these are these are real, really good questions. I mean, there there are things that we need to do to protect ourselves, and you know, the question is like, are we, you know, the work that we're doing right now for make big things? Are we doing that on company time, or is that you know also our time? Um, we need to protect the company, you know. Yeah, if uh, if the the a game about squirrels colonizing the sun it ends up being a bajillion gagillion dillion dollar Kickstarter, uh, <laughs> yeah, Whoa. you know, I, do am I like, hey, I got the ownership over that? So, see ya, kids. I know you're you were we we're all doing this stuff together, but now I'm this rich asshole and. I don't, can we swear on this podcast? Uh, <laughs> all this money's mine now. Uh, see ya. And then I, you know, totally destroy and make big things. Um, or on the reverse side, let's say it's a huge success or, or you know, we're using success as an example. There's also not success. You know, we're having a fraught time and then um, uh, A and B person want to kick out C person. Um, does C person get the, uh, you know, how are they protected with everything that they made for the company? So I don't know that we have any clear answers right now. In fact, I know we don't. That's what we've been saying. But it is something that we need to to really start being like, hmm, we're friends right now, but what happens when the success gets to our heads? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've talked a bit about what it looks like for us to be collaborating as a co-op and what the co-op business model looks like. And this is a podcast about game design. So I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like for us to be designing games collaboratively, because just like making co-op business decisions can be tense and exciting, so can designing a game with your friends, which is Mm -hmm. what we're all doing every day. So uh, what does that collaboration look like in the design process? 
super easy. Nothing, nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the basic act of collaborating in my mind, like the, the sort of fundamental building block is two people sharing their ideas, bouncing them back and forth, building on them, uh, vetoing them, agreeing with them, remixing them. And through that process of tossing these things around, ending up with something new that neither person on their own could come up with. I mean, I guess we should talk a little bit about what projects we have all collaborated on together. Evan, you and I have done the majority of collaboration on Questlandia. Mm -hmm. And then Brian and Evan have done majority collaboration on Good Dog, Bad Zombie. And then Brian and I have done some collaboration on Sentencing Day, which is a game that is a, a role-playing game about the school-to-prison pipeline inspired by a uh, novella slash novelette that Brian wrote. Um, so each of us has had an opportunity to sort of work with the other. And within that, then we're always also kind of consulting each other about these big picture decisions. Like I haven't felt left out of the conversations about Good Dog, Bad Zombie. So, yeah, and I know you guys have, I mean... Obviously, I'm the, the the latest and greatest addition to this cooperative. Just kidding. But uh, I'm, I'm the most recent. Uh, and so, obviously, you two have been working on projects for a long time. Um, Questlandia being um, Make Big Things' uh, first game. So, how has that sort of, you know, how has that collaboration process evolved over time? Um, I think there's been less crying. <laughs> <laughs> that's like not even a joke answer <laughs> it was real fraught for a long time <laughs> we're we're past we're mostly past the weepy stage yeah um i mean it's been uh hmm. when we started collaborating together we were taking all of our anxiety about creating things with us and we each had our own uh stuff that needed to be worked out in the process of you know feeling like am i giving enough to this project or am i uh taking over and domineering it is it are all my ideas this bad or is it just this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think one of my early sticking points and something that still crops up. It's like one of those, you know, bad habits that refuses to die um, is my own imposter syndrome around when I'm coming up with an idea. If it's like, like, does this idea suck? Um, is this idea mine? And what would happen a lot in my early collaborations with Evan is that, you know, I'd come up with something that sucked because that's what early ideas do they suck? Um, and I'd bring it to the table, and Evan and I would sort of like workshop it, and then we'd come up with something better. But I'd be so convinced that like I had no part in making it better. Um, I would just like get really convinced that like you know I had contributed nothing to this new iteration of the idea, and it was really hard. It made it really difficult to work together. In the first Questlandia, it had this um this quantum thing going on where my name would or wouldn't be on the cover as we are working on it. We couldn't decide because I felt like it was a real collaborative product, but I also didn't want to 
I didn't want to step, <laughs> you know? And so I would withdraw my name and be like, no, 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 I don't need any credit. You know, I, I want you to know that you're a huge part of this project, that you're the a driving force here. So it would dot in and out of the page. And there's, I mean, there's also something that I think is fortunately shifting in the game industry and has unfortunately shifted to an extreme and make big things is that when we first started to design Questlandia, uh, you know, if it, came up if the game was mentioned on like reddit or something or uh it was always like assumed that the designer was male um so people would say like he or you know that that guy who made that game and i don't think they even knew anything about me or evan it was just this assumption that was made so i had really pushed to have my name kind of front and center but now it's like slingshotted a little bit in that like evan designed noirlandia and i am the only one who gets credit for that game (laughs) So like I was not the designer of that game and I get the credit for it. So we've, we've reached this other, but anyway, these are talking about some of the challenges. Um, Brian, so, I mean, you and you and Evan are working on good dog, bad zombie, this board game. What's that been like for you? Like what are some of the best parts and the hardest parts of the creative collaboration for you? Man, I, it's so great to collaborate. Uh, oh, I, that's a slogan, I guess. I just made up. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you, I'm like, well, I'm mostly not crying anymore. And you're like, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean that in general. I mean, w- with you as well, I've re- I know, I know Sentencing Day is taking a, a bit of a back burner at the moment, but, you know, I look forward to when we can start working on that again because that was, that was fantastic. But, in, I mean, in the most... A recent sense with um, Good Dog, Bad Zombie. Um, you know, so this this uh, it started as a game that I just I was working on. Um, the actually, the, Evan and I had been working on a different project for Make Big Things, which I hope we come back to someday. A game about like the true story of um, pirates during during the golden age of piracy. Um, spoiler spoiler alert: They <laughs> functioned as worker owned cooperatives, but whatever. That's not the point right now. So. At some point, I forget what happened, but I was playing a game about zombies, and then I was like, this game would be so much better if it was about dogs and zombies, and I pitched that to you 2 as sort of like a joke, but also like not a joke, Mm -hmm. and you 2 I think either you were uh, humoring me or immediately on board, but uh, if you were just humoring me, it has backfired and now taken over uh, years later. They've really been riding the train of humoring you for years. <laughs> but it was it was something I was working on for my, by myself for I think for about a year or so. Uh, it was just like I had so worked enjoyed working with Evan on um, on the pirate stuff, and um, it's just like, hey, Evan, why don't we just since Good Dog Bad Zombie is going to be the next game, let's just carry that collaboration over this. And Evan was like. Ugh, if I have to, um, and that's, um, but no, and then, yeah, so we've, and now, uh, God, I think we've been working on it together now for like two years, um, which is kind of hall. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're close. Um, but you know, and there's, there, there have been, there have been challenges. I mean, there's been times where we have had very different ideas and have tried to push them from like, you know, the design process and, during this time Evan was the lead on New Orlandia and other stuff was happening and so your ability to sort of how closely collaborate dipped in and out um mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean that in a bad way I just, that's not, that's part of our co-op right but it you know 
despite the challenges that arrange, differing ideas, you know, time schedules not lining up, um, the fact that we've worked together on this, um, I, it just it, it has made it such a good game, and I'm so excited about the different strengths that we've brought to it and um, what we have as a result, not just in terms of the game design, but, you know, remember we're uh, make big things. We're, we're also, we're not just designing games. We're also bringing them to production and doing the marketing and that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, mentioned community printers uh, earlier. Um, They're the ones who are going to be printing good dog, bad zombie. Uh, we've had a ton of meetings with them about like production stuff and like that for those of you that have worked with printers before that that is not the case but uh, usually but they have gone above and beyond but like just two nights ago Evan and I I think had a three hour meeting um, <laughs> with uh, trying to like f- fit as many pieces onto as few press sheets as possible um, and it was just like um, but the, you know, Evan really had like, you know, you've, you, you really can see things visually, which I am not, I can't even draw a stick figure. Um, so your ability to work with, uh, community printers on that side, you know, it's just the different strengths coming together is so much more powerful than any challenges. Um, and, and I think that's a sign of a successful co-op. So that's me on my soapbox and now I will <laughs> step off of it. I mean, the different strengths really come through. I'm I'm the kind of designer that is prone to getting stuck on the chalkboard and, you know, just talking about the ideas for things and how I want it to be and designing in a vacuum. And Brian, you're exceedingly good at getting it down onto the table with people playing it and making sure it turns into a practical, playable uh, set of rules. And that's been like that process of bouncing it around together and putting it on the table and trying it has meant remaking that game, <laughs> remaking it from scratch a number of times, actually. <laughs> but More than a number. Yeah. Of yeah, a billion times. numbers here. We're, yeah. we're into concepts. But it's become something that I could never in a million years have made on my own. I think, and I think that's the, that's the thing that's awesome about this is like, you know what I was hearing you you two talking about your experience with Questlandia um, and you know what you just said about Good Dog Bad Zombie in terms of could could never have done it on my own. I mean that's very very true. And you know if um, when we get back to sentencing day, I think that's very very true um, for for that club. That's the thing as I've I've thought I've thought about it on and off the past few weeks and sort of like you know I. I don't personally know role-playing games at all, at all. Um, but I would love to provide, you know, some story input and that kind of stuff. So we're working with you on that, Hannah, like, I'm just like so excited, but with the, like the, the ability to bring the characters to players and for you to be able to like have, be able to make it so that people can make these stories on their own. Um, that's not something I can do. So to me, that's, that's what's, that's so exciting about the collaboration aspect. Yeah. And, you know, I'm learning over time that collaborating with people creatively, I don't know that it's, it's vulnerable. It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of trust. And I mean, this being like opening this up to like this three person co-op also, like I'm just constantly, I'm constantly appreciating the places where we all learn that like the moments that are hard are a part of it. Because, you know, I think that when you're functioning in like a traditional 
business, like there are these moments of tension and stuff that really like stick, like you, you carry them forward. Um, and you're like, Ooh, that's like this thing that we're just carrying forward. And like, we can't get over it. Like we're never going to agree on this one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I feel like, I don't know, being part of a co-op is like being part of a long-term relationship where you learn that like your first fight doesn't mean it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That's great. That's great. So yeah. I've, I've really appreciated that is like the, the trust that it's taken and, and um, I don't know, continuing to kind of trust each other over time. I think that was beautiful way to put that. <laughs> so we have so many notes about collaboration as a business and collaborating creatively that we are going to probably end up folding the rest of these notes into a part two of this episode that we'll do at some point and we'll do a little follow-up and we'll see if a few weeks or a few months from now, if we are still collaborating well. So (laughs) hold your breaths. (laughs) So our next episode is going to be welcome to the library. I'll be your guide. I don't think we have any idea what that means, but (laughs) (laughs) it's really good to like set a title, have no idea what it means and then stick to it. Yeah, Which is sort of the way that we do game design. Um, Right, 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 right. (laughs) Um, So with that, your thoughts and questions, we are finally caught up on the design doc email. Thank you for your emails. Um, We just got an awesome email with somebody who was uh, appreciating how stuck we've been on this transition of getting the junk poets in the library to actually pick up a book and enter a world. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny where you find your limitations are as a designer. (laughs) How do we get our characters doing anything? So they had this great suggestion of a character who the junk poets meet in the library, who's kind of like a librarian NPC or something. And maybe that person, like the junk poets see them around a corner and then they disappear into a book or they're there to provide guidance. Yeah. Evan, you had like some more thoughts on that that were fun. I did. Oh, right. Yes. The idea was to have some kind of guide or maybe a librarian within the library who introduces the junk poets to the books and how to enter them. Kind of a Microsoft Clippy approach. I'm like, hey, it looks like you're trying to create a world. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like super into that. And I think we're going to try it in our next play test. <laughs> so I was imagining sort of like the Gandalf Clippy, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gandalf Clippy so- has to be a thing. I think that, yeah, like Clippy with like a wizard hat. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If you have thoughts or questions or you would like to continue moving us forward on this sticking point of how do we actually have the junk poets enter books, you can email us at designdocpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can tweet to us at designdocpod. Or personally, you can tweet Hannah at HanBandit or me at A Drawn Novel or Brian at, well, I don't know what your Twitter address is, Brian. <laughs> it's the Brinos because I was a stupid teenager at one point. <laughs> <laughs> or tweet to Brian at the Brinos. Uh, and Brian, um, 
his Twitter feed can promise many good pictures of his dog. Very, very good dog pictures. So it's worth it. Mm-hmm. The best dog pictures. I would, yeah. The best dog, the best pictures. It's all there. <laughs> The Design Doc intro and outro theme was created by our friend, musician Pat King. Thank you, Pat. The Design Doc podcast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed Design Doc, visit oneshotpodcast.com, where you'll find other great shows like System Mastery. System Mastery follows Jeff and John as they scour the bargain bins of game stores across the country to bring you up-to-the-decade reviews of failures and secret successes of RPG history. And if you're liking what we do here, you can always hop on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Uh, Just look for Design Doc Podcast on iTunes. Leaving a review helps other people find the podcast, and it fills us with determination. Determination. Uh, I didn't know we did that with I don't have a determination (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening we'll see you soon heroes